the Koi Gig Pod. But we're too quick to drop off 3v1. That's been a problem that we actually stopped against Scotland because Neve Fahey stepped in to stop Caroline Weir. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. We haven't had a lot of rugby on the show over the course of the last week or so. Obviously, we've been, we haven't really been here. So, an unusual Friday night slot for Alan Quinlan as opposed to your usual Friday morning. Quinny, how are you? I'm very good, Mick, now on yourself. Not too bad. Hope the Christmas treated you well. I was very good, yeah. Yeah, over in a flash, though. Very, very quick. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Back back to real life now on Tuesday. How will we ever manage? Know, but uh, back to reality. Yeah. For some people routine is, is, is important though. It'll be like next Tuesday could be like their Christmas. Uh <laughs> come here, uh I don't know if you got a chance to see it and you may not have, and we'll get into we'll get into all of the uh the the, the provinces in a few minutes, but the Tackling the All Blacks documentary that was on on um, RT last night, very interesting, I thought, in some parts. I mean, there's not a huge amount new that we're going to learn from something like this. These things are so well covered at the moment. You're a big part of it in your commentary, of course, um, in, in the footage. What I just found most interesting, and again, if you haven't seen it, this is something I think you'll be able to, to kind of talk on anyway, is the relationship that Andy Farrell has with the players Again, it's not new news, but it's interesting to see it in documentary form. It's almost the anti-Joe Schmidt, and it's 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 been designed like that almost by Andy Farrell. You know, even that they call him Faz, and when they're talking about him and to him, and everything just seems to be about a happy together group. All the coaching, everything like that, that's obviously he's doing a fantastic job with, and there's loads of examples of it. It's almost secondary to the fact that this is a, this is a group where the leaders are seen as much on the pitch as they are in the dugout yeah that's that's an interesting point and um, I do I do get I, I, sometimes I'm a little bit um, frustrated when um, you know when that kind of comes across that um, well the Joe Schmidt era was a lot more uh, ruthless and and less forgiving if you like um, they're different coaches and different yeah. coaches uh adopt a different different approaches you know Joe had incredible success obviously he never coached me um, it's well known and documented that he was pretty strict um, uh, players were nervous I think um, he put a lot of pressure on people he you know there was a lot of accountability in everything they did on the field off the field and, and it worked yeah. it worked up to a point that um, unfortunately I think for Joe in the end 2019 I think it, it it was probably a collective thing that that wasn't spotted and wasn't picked up as regards changing the way they play a little bit and understand and being being con- I suppose getting caught a little bit by particularly England um, and they showed a bit of vulnerability to Ireland's game maybe with it being pretty ruthless and efficient and uh, the kicking game was so good um, breakdown, all that kind of stuff, these set plays that Joe would come up with and, and they were incredibly effective. So he had wonderful success with Ireland, did a magnificent job and, and I felt I really felt sorry for him in 2019, yeah. particularly to end, end like that. But different coaches and I've had so many different coaches in my career, some are a little bit stricter than others. Um, it's the same as players, not everybody in the dressing room is the same. Uh, some are more relaxed in their approach. Ultimately, it's what you do out in the field is important, I think, as a group. And when you're winning as a group, and when Joe was winning, you know, 
people were lauding that success and I think a lot of the players liked it. Some players in the fringes didn't because they were picked out and, yeah. um, you know, picked up on certain things. But there is, it's, it's a different personality and, and Andy Farrell is a little bit different. He's more relaxed and he's taking that approach. But you can be rest assured, Mick, that the players, um, even though it, it seems that it's a bit more relaxed, mm. you know, he'd be pretty hard and down on them if they didn't do their job and, and, and get themselves right for matches as well. But it's it's it seems to be going perfect. And yeah. um, let's hope, no, hope we don't see similarities in, in 2023 that we did at the start of the Six Nations in 2019. Yeah, there's such a fear of it, isn't it? It's terrible. I was even just thinking today it was like can we not enjoy what that was for itself and not think about the World Cup but I'm as guilty as it as anyone we always do it's like what happens if it all falls apart but it's interesting you say though that like they are different coaches and it's in no way to kind of to, to speak down about Joe Schmidt I mean I think the best uh you know, uh, compliment we can play Joe Schmidt is the fact that everybody's assuming that New Zealand are going to get a lot better in the next 12 months before the World Cup purely because Joe's involved. There's no sense that... But I just wonder sometimes if a new... Different coach of different styles, but that Farrell's was the perfect one to follow a Joe Schmidt regime where maybe but after probably, a while that wears yeah. you down and you need something new. Yeah, and that's, that's a very good point as well. Um, again, I'm not a player in it, but, you know... <sighs> Someone like Paul O'Connell and Johnny Sexton, like they're so driven. They loved Joe's mm. approach. They loved the de- attention to detail. No stone was left unturned. And then you hear from players now in the modern game. I was there in New Zealand with the players. They, they seem just relaxed, calm, confident, but they still are very much locked and loaded in the amount of work they've done and the understanding. And, you know, maybe that was a case in 2019 that if Joe had his time back, I don't know. Um, I have a lot of time for him and uh, I think what he did was incredible. But maybe if he had his time back, the approach could have been different mm. because something wasn't right with the team in 2019 and they lost a little bit of spark. And, um, you know, it's like a confidence. Sport can be unforgiving. You know, you a good, good runs and the bounce of the ball and all this kind of stuff in all sports, it, it's, it kind of gets bigger and bigger and has a snowball effect when you're winning and you're getting results. But the same is applies when you're losing and you're you're on the back foot and you're you're not getting results. Things go wrong. But opposition teams sense that as well, and they they feel there's more of a chance. So uh, maybe it is the right approach. And and given what they did in New Zealand and the way they've turned the corner. But let's not forget the first couple of months under Andy Farrell, there was sure, a lot of critics. Yeah. There was a lot of talk of of the players, the team lacking any sort of cohesion or identity the way they were playing. My cat was coming under a lot of pressure, but they they weathered that storm and they and it's been brilliant, you know. And I think the highlight of all that, and it'll, it'll, we'll speak about this for eternity. Um, I know some critics of rugby and and um, will say that it's overhyped and all that, but to win a Test series in New Zealand will will never be forgotten. Doing it at the World Cup is where we want to do it um, and we want to see this Irish team perform and bring the same type of performance. But it's very small margins, Mick. You go and you play, if you get out of the group, and I always say this, we cannot forget Scotland in that group. And if we if we get out of the group um, and Samoa, uh, that, you know, you're playing France or New Zealand and it's it's a, it's nearly, it's right up under the tough, toughest possibilities we'll ever have given France are in France and New Zealand, as you say, they will be better. They will be so much better next year at the World Cup. 
But Ireland's the challenge for Ireland is to try and bring consistency. And I've said this for a while. Maybe it's no bad thing if we if we don't. You know, November was was mixed, wasn't it? Even though they got mm. three good results, South Africa was, um, you know, really intense, and they dug in there and they played some great rugby. And you know, Fiji and and France or Fiji and Australia probably was a little bit underwhelming, if you like. Um, and that's not a bad thing. So yeah. hopefully they can have a good Six Nations and enjoy it for what it is now. And um, the World Cup will be what it's what it will be next next September. Mm. That doc, I think, might be worth people watching back. Maybe on the player, it's one of those. It's a good retrospective of a of a like an incredible achievement, as you say yourself, to go down there and do it. I thought one of the more interesting ones as well is that the players, to a man that are interviewed, focus on that team meeting after the first test being the key to everything in that tour. I'm just interested in your perspective on on those kind of things mattering. Is it like is there a like that group coming together and seeing a match together? And identifying it again, not just not at all just coming from the coaches, it coming from the players too, and how much that matters in terms of executing your plan better for the week after and the week after that. It's it's very small margins, and I would have sensed that um, from talking to players and meeting them. I was staying in the same hotel after the first test, just for one of the tests. It, it so happened to be the same hotel we were mm. in. Um, I spoke to some guys on the Sunday and one or two of the coaches and just without any in-depth kind of conversations, there was a feeling um, and I had the same feeling having watched the game back again on the Sunday morning that there was opportunities and there was small margins there. You know, um, the Cebu Reese try when, when, when the ball goes along the ground, big turning point. Um, there was a couple of things in that game that just went wrong for them. There were small things and, and New Zealand were ruthless and they punished them. But I just thought the response in the second half was really heartening and it would have, and I know myself having been there and experienced some of those situations, not at the same level maybe of playing the All Blacks in New Zealand, but you, you can take stuff out of a game. You can gain confidence and that's the feeling that was after the game. Even at the end, the final whistle, you know, you hear some of the stuff that the media, they're saying to the media, the players have been interviewed. They, they really believed it, that if they tidied up a little bit of stuff, got the game plan, believed in what they were doing and executed better. And we hear lots of sports people saying that, don't we, after losses in matches and stuff like that. But it was the case here. And that's what that's what happened, I think. Um, I remember being in the hotel for the, I think, the Thursday press conference in 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 um, in before the second test and Andy Farrell was interviewed and I remember him saying this and I loved it. I loved it. I'd love to have been in a room with him saying it. Mm. This is exactly what we want. This is, this is the challenge we want. This is the challenge I want as a coach. This is the challenge my players want and we're up for it and we're ready for it and we're going to go after it. And I just thought I got a little bit of a, a surge of energy thinking, God, this it's great to hear this. You know, he wasn't making any excuses and he was just saying, this is what I want. I want my players challenged out here in a really tough environment. Um, the, you know, the other side of the world against, you know, this historic kind of aura of playing the All Blacks. Yeah. And we had obviously recent good results in the last number of years and beaten them for the first time in Chicago. But this was different. It was on New Zealand soil. <laughs> and I just sensed that 
they really believed it and they went out and they performed that way. I thought the way they started that second test was phenomenal. Mm. Um, I know that was, the, you know, the red card made a difference, um, the yellow card as well. Um, and at one stage, New Zealand were down to 13 men. But I just thought the response then after half time, New Zealand scored just before half time. You want, oh God. <laughs> You know, Ireland didn't get the scores when they were when they were when they were New Zealand were down to 13 men. So their mentality was really strong, and that that comes from the coaches, obviously from players and great leaders as well. But it was driven by him, and I, and I sensed that at, at that that kind of press briefing on the Thursday before the, the second test. And uh, surprisingly, I think I say that respectfully. You know, for them to go on and and bring the same kind of energy and surge and, and performance in that. I just thought that first 40 minutes in the third test were as good as I've I've seen an Irish side ever play. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting you say that that feeling you got watching that Thursday press conference, that really comes across the fact that they, they, they do seem to relish it, you know, and it's funny when you're talking about that World Cup group, we as fans and analysts like yourself, you're, you're looking at that going, God, it's such a bad draw. And I just get the impression that the players are maybe, this is what we want. You know, if, we, <laughs> if we're going to do it, let's do it the hard way and let's uh, face the challenges as they come. So just an interesting group. Uh, we're after, uh, after using up all my time on, on a whim there, Quinny. Sorry about that. But uh, just to, uh, briefly on the URC, record attendances for Christmas um, sellouts even in Wales you know we're, it's a long time since we've seen that at the same time then you've got you know Stephen Jones writing about kicking the South Africans out of Europe and they're taking away from the, the event it does seem to go against what we're seeing on the ground is that there does seem to be a bit of a renewed I don't know if it's interest or a renewed kind of competitiveness in the URC that's I don't know I feel like this Christmas felt like it became a little bit more visible to the casual viewer, that this is a little bit more for real. It, it is, and I think it's it, the URC is is definitely more competitive with the South African teams in. Um, I think everyone has improved right across the board, um, and there is more interest in it. I think that it, there's a real intrigue, and and they've made it intriguing now. The South Africans, the physicality they bring. Um, I'm still a little bit undecided about the South Africans in Europe, which mm. is. You know, you're calling it a European Cup. Um, it's a Champions Cup, really, but it's a European Cup, essentially. Um, and I do, I'm split, a little bit split on that because, you know, weather conditions are different when you're going down there and, and vice versa coming up here. And it kind of skews it a little bit. But um, let's see how it plays out. I think there's issues around the, the format of the European Cup at the moment yeah. with these two pools of 12 and I, a lot of people don't like it I don't like it um, of course it makes it really really competitive in the quarterfinal semi-final and stuff like that but I love the old format I played in it for so long and um, but the URC yeah right across the board there was a lot of great games there was big attendances and with the festive period you're going to get more people who have that little bit of time and they want to go to an event and they want to and you would hope particularly I think, um, again, again, some of the Welsh attendances can be poor at times. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that's not having a dig at them. And ah, it was great be. to see. No, it's not. Because I have a lot of friends there and I like it. And I've always said this, Mick, that I, 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 we need... I, You know, you'd love to see the Welsh teams. The last number of years has been tough for them and it's been difficult. Yeah. And I think... Um, you know, there's a lot of envy about the, the setup in Ireland and the way it's structured with the four provinces. 
I think there is some criticism at times that players are rotated here, there and everywhere. And, you know, Leinster are probably the one, the only team or the main team that can do this. And, you know, again, they've made 13 changes from the team that beat um, Munster and Stevens yeah. Day. And, and it still looks incredibly strong. You know, Munster can make 13 changes and, and be the same kind of competitive group. Graham Rountree has said to, for the last five games, push out his frontline players because he's he's very thin on the ground with the depth they have. Um, you know, we saw what Gloucester did sending over a second string team to Leinster. So that debate goes on. But I think the URC has become more competitive with the South Africans in and it's 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 really good to watch. There's a bit of bite, there's mm. a more intensity in it, and uh it kind of sharpens the minds a little bit more. Yeah, and a bit more jeopardy as well. I mean, like you were looking at Munster fighting for their lives at the moment for a place in Europe. The two games that were played, and obviously, like this can lead on to this week's games, which are obviously uh, Munster Ulster and Leinster Connacht. But uh, they're both on Sunday, by the way. Uh, the the both games were close. It was uh, Connacht twenty, Ulster twenty two, Munster nineteen, Leinster twenty. Obviously, uh, to the point of a more competitive US U, uh, URC. Both team, all four teams putting out strong. A lot of changes, as I said, from, from Leinster, but it wasn't the first team and the second team. They've kind of mixed it up a little bit. And obviously, to a lesser extent, the other provinces can do the same thing. They can't make as many changes. But again, putting out kind of consistently strong teams, thankfully, we're kind of seemingly past the Christmas period of the home team plays the first team, the away team plays the second team, and we just take one win each and move on. Because that was really, like, there's something class about Holman Park on Stevens' day and that that was was kind of gone for a few years wasn't it? It was it was gone for a few years and it was frustrating I think um, even back when I played there was still a bit of rotation and and, um, it happened but you still had 10 yeah 10 to 11 internationals kind of starting at 4 or 5 maybe who wouldn't be starting internationals and and, uh, or in the international squad Um, you know Having the frontliners, Munster, Leinster, I think, with everybody fit and available was incredibly big. Um, it always has been. And on a number of occasions in in the last seven or eight years, we've seen weakened teams picked. Um, but it doesn't really matter now because Leinster can make those changes and still win the fixture. It's yeah. 2018, um, December 2018, since Munster last won that fixture. So... Um, it's uh, it's 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 working perfectly fine for Leinster, but from a fan's perspective, you know you want to see. But I I think the perception has changed because if Leinster make, as I said, they make thirteen changes for Connacht, and it still looks an incredibly strong side. Um, they have so many international players now, uh, so many players in the Irish squad that they can make those rotations and pick six or seven internationals and eight or nine other guys who were quality players as well, and, and they produce a performance and they can get the job done so their strength and depth is the envy of, of, of a lot of teams it makes it so much um, better to watch doesn't it because if you look at the players like if you see like Liam Turner Rob Russell these guys playing in a back line for Leinster you immediately think it's going to be with Ross Byrne and you know but this is with Gibson Park and Sexton and straight away you're thinking we'll actually see what these guys are really about now as opposed to just seeing their URC cameos in the off weeks which is what we've seen yeah, in the you, past. And you, know? you, you get a lot out of the players then. Um, and I've always believed this, you know, if you're making, bringing in a couple of young players, it's great to give them the opportunity with a lot of experience and quality around them. A mix and match scenario. Exactly. Um, there has to be changes and the, the kind of player welfare 
right across the board. And the criticism sometimes comes from across the water, but they make a lot of changes too in their squads and they rotate their squads. They do it. Um, uh, you know, so it does happen across the board, but Leinster can do that. And Liam Turner and Rob Russell, they're two guys you mentioned. They've, you know, they, they, they've proven themselves that they're quality players. Um, Jamie Osborne on, on Monday night was outstanding at 12, you know, beside yeah. Gary Ringrose. Um, so it it's it's working. It works for them. Um, and to filter in some young players like that and give them an opportunity of that big day, and particularly when you have enough equality around them, is 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 really important. The Munster Ulster game is. I think it's a must win for for Munster. Really, I think Ulster. You know, they they probably weren't great against Connacht, but got the job done. But from Munster's point of view, it was, it was the reaction was so. There was such a dichotomy in the reaction from Munster fans that I saw after the game on Monday. It was the look at how they're living with Leinster versus how could you not get the job done when you're in that position? Which side would you fall down on? Or it's probably something <coughs> in between. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I think, look, at the end of the day, and I do the podcast every week with Neve Brinks, the Red 78, and I told we, we, we analysed the team and we have done since the start of the season. And there's certain parts of me thinks it's... It's a kind of, uh, it's a sad state of affairs in some ways that this is where we're at, yeah. but we have to deal in reality. And it's like mistakes and things that happen in your life, looking too far back and saying, well, this shouldn't have happened or it shouldn't have happened this way, whatever. It's not going to change it. But there is enthusiasm there because there's a little bit of a positive change in the way they're playing. There is some good young players and it's reality. So Munster being one of these European giants for for so long it's not the case now I think there's great history attached with the jersey and um, you know it's a big club but it's it's a long time since they won a trophy and and the reality at the moment is not it's not a great reality but it's a positive scenario when you see um, the ambition and they're they're trying to stick to what they you know they need more depth they need more mm-hmm. quality and they need to build a big a bigger squad um, of quality players right across the board, and that's the that's the ideal scenario for every coach at that level. But um, they didn't get the job done, and there were certain things in the game that they could have controlled better. But I was I was probably enthused by the fight and the energy and the aggression yeah. they showed and the work rate and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of a a basic template for putting on a Munster jersey. So I think they're showing a lot of fight. The players are working their socks off. So it's hard to criticise them and say, well, they played poorly and they didn't do this and they didn't do that. They had some mistakes, but I think when they're giving it at all and they're probably, are they getting the maximum out of themselves? No, because I think they're, they can be better in their execution. But mm. there's a lot of, there's a bit of a buzz about what they're trying to do and they are working incredibly hard. And I like that. And I, we didn't always see that. And there's a bit more variety to their game. And I think Munster fans want to see that. You don't want to go away from the traditional kind of forward-oriented uh, dominance that you want when you go to Thoman Park, where you're going to be tested and you're going to physically be challenged. It's all part of the kind of the history when I played as well. But, the, you know, you need the modern game. You need to play and you need to attack and play attacking rugby. And they're they're trying to do that. And... It's taken a little bit of time. It is going to take more time. Going to Belfast on Sunday doesn't get any easier. You said at the start there, most every game is a must-win game now in the league. You know, they've 10 played, they've lost six. Mm-hmm. Potentially, 
And on paper, they're probably losing seven on Sunday if they believe it and allow it to happen. It's a very strong Ulster side. Yeah, not an easy Dan place. McFarlane, Dan McFarlane won't have any pity on Munster, you know. They're, they're third in the league and in a much better place. But, you know, they've got to try and keep believing and doing what they... They need a little bit of luck too with some of the players to get them back, you know. And they've had no luck, obviously, with R.G. Snyman. Fekitoa starts... They're their two marquee signings. The two of them are sitting in the stands for the last few weeks when mm. a lot of these big games are going on. So they need to be smart with the recruitment and, and get that right for next season. And I think a lot of the younger players who've got exposure this year will learn from it. But going to Belfast is really difficult. You know, uh, Stockdale is back. James Hume, Robert Balakoon, McCluskey is in there. Billy Burns is back. Vermeulen back at number eight. So fair bit of power and experience there. And it's a, it's a tough task for them. But... Munster, if they can go and take a chance or two, who knows? They won this fixture last last year, and uh, who knows? They might um, they might find a performance, and um, you know if they can stay in the game and 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 even get ahead early on and get a good start up there. Who knows? Yeah, two strong teams as you, as you mentioned, and uh, I, I like the look of the Munster back five. Yeah, really? it's a good it's a Munster side, even though they've made six changes. It, yeah. it looks. I was happy when I saw the side and I said that had, that team has a chance, a good chance. And Patterson and Crowley is probably, you know, a lot of fans will have been calling for that partnership in particular. So it, even from a neutral Irish rugby fans point of view in particular, like that's one to watch, I think. Uh, on, on uh, uh, big time. Yeah, Sunday. Patterson is, uh, is, is someone who's uh, really impressed this year. I think he was outstanding down in Cork against South Africa. Um, he has a real energy about his game. He's dangerous to defend against. And Jack Crowley has grown and grown, hasn't he? He's, mm. you know, there's a mistake or two in Jack Crowley, but he's still <laughs> a young player, but he's a quality player. And I like that he's physical and abrasive. And we're going to see a lot of Jack Crowley and Paddy Patterson the next few years, I think. And uh, it's a tough task for him. You've got to make good decisions, Mick, in games like this, particularly away from home. You've got to get your basics right. You've got to have a little bit of an edge with you. And one of those decisions can win or lose you the game. And, and your halfbacks are central to that. You know, they're going to handle the ball 60, 70 times in the game, each of them. Um, and they've got to minimize those errors and maybe come up with a little bit of magic. And, um, if your halfbacks do that. And obviously Jack Crowley's got to control and, and play some territory as well. But, you know, their forwards have got to deliver because Ulster's Mall has been outstanding this year and they've got to really, step up and, and take on that Ulster pack yeah it's going to be fascinating it's brilliant uh, to have uh, uh, such interesting rugby at this time of year uh, again as we talked about earlier but yeah Munster versus Ulster uh, 5.15 New Year's Day followed straight or Ulster versus Munster I should say and followed straight away by uh, Leinster and Connacht Quinny thanks a million for joining us enjoy the rugby on Sunday my pleasure Talk my to you pleasure soon. Mick happy new year and to you, and to you, mate. Thanks so much. Uh, just a reminder as well that Rugby on Off the Ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.